Uh, this morning we have two Bible readings. The first is from the New Testament, the book of Revelation. And we're going to read from chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, we'll read the first 10 verses. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were, were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with them for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. And now turning to the book of Daniel, the, uh, the last chapter, chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, we'll read the, the whole chapter. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been seen, sorry, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. 
everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars for ever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Let's now ask for the Lord's blessing on his word as we consider it this morning. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we consider your word this morning, we pray that you would grant to us by the working of your spirit the grace that we need to find hope in the finality of the end and in the return of Jesus Christ as it's revealed here to us. And Lord, strengthen us that as we may face hostility, we may stand firm and that hope you've bestowed upon us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we conclude our series in Daniel. Now, the last time I preached from Daniel, it was on chapter 9. Uh, chapters 10 and 11 deal with similar themes to chapters 7 and 8, though in a different way and, and in a much more... Uh, clear way, but because it would be a repeat of some of the things that we have spoken of there, the, the time that happens between Malachi and Matthew, the time when the Greek Empire arises, and, and prominent in that would be uh, the, the desolation and destruction that Antiochus Epiphanes, the, the Greek leader, would, would have upon the people who would profane the temple and desecrate the worship and oppress Israel. 
And we've looked at that in chapter 7 and 8, and so I didn't want to go through that, and I did want to finish with chapter 12 as we consider it this morning. There are some things that are new in chapter 12. And when, when we began the, the apocalyptic part or the prophetic part of Daniel, I told you about some important ideas for interpreting uh, prophecy. One of those is the two mountains on one horizon, that there's the, the coming of Christ, which is anticipated, and beyond that, there's the, the return of Christ that is looked to as well. That's what we have in chapter 12. It, it, it's looking at, at both, and yet it, it sees both on one horizon. And, and then there's the other idea, it's the telescope, that when you, you look at that, that far-off revelation and that far-distant coming and return of Jesus Christ, the return of Jesus Christ particularly, it looks as large as what's right in front of you. That's the telescopic approach. And, and that captures well what we've considered in uh, this portion of Daniel, particularly Daniel chapter 12, when Daniel is given this vision. And I would suggest that this vision relates to the return of Jesus Christ that it, we are facing as well, that we are looking forward to. It's not now talking about the coming of Jesus Christ, though there are some allusions to that. Perhaps in verse 11, when it talks about the abomination that makes desolate, that's a reference to Antiochus Epiphanes, which happened before Jesus came. But now I think most of what, what uh, Daniel 12 is talking about is, is with the return of Jesus Christ. And that's why I read Revelation 20 as well. That's what Revelation 20 is reminding us, that Christ has established his millennial kingdom with his ascension. He's ruling on high and he's subduing his enemies. But he will come back. And before he comes back, there's that little season of Satan. It's referred to in, in verse 3. It's referred to in verse 7 through 10. That season just before the return of Christ is going to be released to attack and try and destroy the church. And that's what Revelation, or excuse me, Daniel 12 is referring to. Daniel 12 is a continuation of his visions in which the angel speaks to him and unfolds the history that God's people are going to face. And that history was horrible. It was found in the Babylonian destruction. It's what we sung about in, in Psalm 137. How, how Upset God's people were because God's people had been attacked by enemies and overthrown by enemies. How that would happen again in the intertestamental period, but also how we're going to be subject to that in the last days. And chapter 12 is the conclusion of Daniel's prophetic ministry. The book closes with some acknowledged difficult ideas. Daniel struggled to understand how the history would unfold, what would happen. And don't forget where the book began. We're not to read this chapter all on its own and say, oh, wow, if Daniel struggles with this. But remember where, where Daniel began, where the book began. It began with Daniel in Babylon. And this was a man who was blessed by the Lord. He was a man who has given insight and understanding. Chapter 1, verse 17 reminds us that God gave to Daniel and his friends knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel himself was given by God the interpretations of visions and dreams for him to understand. And this is a word of caution for us. 
A word of caution with regard to our curiosity. Someone like Daniel, who had such a magnificent understanding of the mysteries of God, doesn't yet grasp the unfolding of the end. He says in verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And God says to him, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. You won't see it until the end. So I would encourage you, congregation, as we think about this, to have this warning. To recognize that comfort doesn't come from precisely knowing how this is going to unfold. Comfort doesn't come from a special insight into all the, the, the signs and the wonders and the seasons and the times that are going to happen. Instead, comfort comes. Comfort comes from faithful fellowship with the God who unfolds history. That's what we need to learn from the book of Daniel. Daniel was a disciple living in a hostile environment. Daniel was a disciple like you and I who, who are uh, strangers in this world, pilgrims. And Daniel's strength and Daniel's beauty and the beauty of this revelation is the faithful fellowship that he had with God and which he pursued right to the end. And that faithful fellowship is what brings comfort to God's people. And particularly, as this unfolds, in the midst of hostility, there is a comfort of hope. Hope. Hope that is the resounding theme that God has a purpose, God has a design, and God will accomplish that. That's the blessing that God concludes Revelation with. That's the blessing that God concludes Daniel with. As we consider that this morning, there's, there's three things to think about. There's the ongoing comfort that Daniel would experience. There's the contrasting judgments that are revealed to him. And there's the continued calling. So those three things, the ongoing comfort, the contrasting judgments, and the continued calling. First of all, consider the ongoing comfort. It's found in, in verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life, and some to everlasting contempt. Those who would lose their lives for the sake of the gospel. Those who would lose their lives for the sake of Zion. Those who would lose their lives. And God's word reminds us there's two outcomes that comfort God's people in the midst of hostilities. There's the certainty of life. There's the resurrection of the just to everlasting life. But also, the certainty the certainty that we can have that the unjust will be raised to, as Daniel reveals, shame and everlasting contempt. That there is judgment for those who despise and ignore God. God's people have been sustained through the ages, throughout the ages, by their hope for the last day. Their hope in the fact that God would ultimately bring judgment and would vindicate their cause. 
Listen to what Hebrews 11 tells us about that. Hebrews 11 talks about those who who held on to God in the midst of these difficult times that they were to face, whether it be the intertestamental period. I think that's a type of what we're going to face at the end of times and what we're going to see unfolded on the church in Satan's little season, that he will do his utmost to destroy the ways of God as they are found in the church. But in Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews reflects back on that intertestamental time, and it says this about them. It says, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. That's a phenomenal sentence, isn't it? You hear those amazing words? When it reflects on, this is God's word, reflecting on those who who were willing to lay down their lives for God's sake. The world was not worthy of them. Isn't one of the fears we have in martyrdom? Martyrdom is giving your life for the sake of Christ. Is the fact that we lose the world. God has a different reckoning. He says, no, actually, the world isn't worthy of you. Martyrdom is in the loss column for the world. We think, oh, that's Satan's victory. God's Word says, oh, no, that's a negative for the world. The world isn't worthy of them. I will take them to myself. My catechism class has looked at this when we we looked at Guido Debray. Interesting that Guido Debray wrote a letter. He's the author of the Heidelberg Catechism, wrote a letter to his wife. And he said, I wish that I had been born in a different time in which I wouldn't have to give my life for the church. But this is the time that God has called me to live in. And who am I to object to God's ways? And if it means we have to give our backs to the whips, or our bodies to the flames. We will do that because God is worthy. And that was the sentiment not only of Guido Debray, but of his whole congregation. The world isn't worthy. Don't hold on to it so dearly that you think of your loss. God's Word is teaching us, think of your gain. Think of your gain. What has upheld God's people to to face such, such horrific circumstances where Satan unleashes his worst? Is the reality that God has an eternal kingdom that He promises to bless you with. This is what's behind the trying of Job. Take everything he owns. Destroy his world. Destroy his health. And he'll curse you in a moment. No, Job... Remain faithful to the Lord to to discount 
the accusation of Satan's. The certainty of the resurrection is much more real because of, for us today, what, what Hebrews 11 is talking about is the intertestamental period. And that's the point of Hebrews 11. These were commended for their faith, but they didn't receive what was promised since God provided something better for us. We have something better. We have something, we have a greater incentive. We have a, a, a greater revelation. We have a greater reality and realization that Christ has risen from the dead. We have a greater guarantee guarantee of the resurrection of the dead. He is the first fruits from the dead. And if God can raise him, the certainty of scripture is that he will raise us. And it is in the history of the church that this truth has has been the, the ongoing comfort. Because it's a fearful thing to face the attacks of Satan. Yes, he's bound now. But there's going to be a little season and we're so overwhelmed by that little season. What's going to happen? God's word says, hold on, hold on. Just trust, trust, trust. But also hope in God, but also consider, secondly, the contrasting judgments. Be aware, be aware of this judgment. The eternal outcome is stated very clearly. This is the certainty that some people, those who believe in Jesus Christ, will find their names written in the book of life. And many who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awaken, some to everlasting life. But there is also the reality that those who do not believe in Jesus Christ, those who oppress His people, those who seek to destroy His church, those who are in league with Satan to do His bidding, will be raised to shame and everlasting contempt. There is a single resurrection at the return of Jesus Christ and the judge will come in his glorified human nature and render to each according to his works. But not only according to his works, but according to his faith. People of God, do you realize that that we are held to a, a doctrinal and accountability and a moral accountability that what we think and what we believe will be scrutinized by God, but also how we live and what we do. This is often pointed out in the New Testament. Jesus frequently pointed out to his disciples that they live their lives in the shadow of judgment, should know that Christ would come and all men will stand before him. And what will we have to give an account of? Let's consider that just briefly this morning. What do you have to give an account of? What does everyone have to give an account of? Well, there's our words. Matthew 12, verse 36. Jesus teaches us. I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. There's our actions. Jude 15. Behold, The Lord comes with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And motives. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man will praise, each man's praise will come to him 
from God. Our words, our actions, our motives. But not only ours, but others as well. God will hold us accountable for all. Do our words reflect the teaching of His? Are our words seasoned with grace and, and speaking the truth in love, showing the way that God has taught us to speak? Do our actions reflect the fact that we serve the true and the living God, no matter how ungodly the times might become? But what about our motives? Our motives. This is one of the hardest ones, isn't it? So often we can hide our words, disguise our actions, but our motives will be scrutinized by God as well. Who can judge another person's motives? I don't know why people do the things they do. And particularly when you suffer injustice, you wonder what drives people to do what they do. And who's going to call them to account for those evil motives that we have had to endure from others? The comfort, the hope, the certainty that we can have is that God will. God will certainly call all men to account, us and others. Even if they succeed in hiding their injustice from this world, they will have to give an account of words, actions, and motives. Daniel teaches that the contrast in the lives of mankind is something that isn't only apparent at the last day. We don't have to wait for them to see it. But what will happen? What will happen amongst God's people? Notice the difference. Daniel, you seal up the words. But then he says in verse 4, right at the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. This is talking about the futility of man. Going back and forth as the, the reference of, of Satan wandering in Job 1, verse 7. Going back and forth, not sure which way to turn, not sure which way to go. Increasing in knowledge, man's mind will apply itself to know the wonders of the world, but not in reference to God. There is a futility in all of man's endeavors. Many are going to have that. But don't be dissuaded or, or, or uh, deceived by them. For all the growth in man's knowledge, man has not been able to attain to the resolution of the problem of man's heart. Only God can change that. This is the futility which is part of their judgment. It's a blindness. A blindness to their inability to really address man's fundamental need. A willful blindness, moral and mental, to the ways of God. Yes, there is a contrasting judgment. For those who follow the ways of the devil, who deny the ways of God, who will not surrender and follow him, Daniel is assured it's going to be destroyed. But how do we live then? Thirdly, the continued calling. Trust. The certainty. These words are to be shut up and sealed in a book. 
That's the word of God. We can read these today because Daniel shut these up and sealed them in the book. The sealing doesn't mean they're to be hidden away. It means it's authentic. It's certain. You can trust its certainty. This is the word of God that he's given to us. Be aware that that judgment is coming. But just before that, and those who are wise, those who, who know God's ways, those who live for him shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. This is a reflection of what God calls us to. When we live without groaning, without grumbling, without complaining, we shine like stars in the universe. When we take our lot and recognize our place and realize the place that God has called us to live, we don't grumble because things are going from bad to worse. We're convinced that, that this is what, what part of God's judgment. And so we don't join in, we stand aside. And in this way, we stand against culture and we shine like bright lights in the world. Isn't that astounding? This is the privilege we have to shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness. Lead them to righteousness. We, we think of this in terms of bringing salvation or bringing people to salvation, of making known the gospel of Jesus Christ. And certainly there is an evangelistic endeavor. But it's righteousness, bringing them to realize the place of Christ in their life, the certainty of His Word, the certainty of His work, what it means to be a disciple like Daniel. One of the reasons I think we cherish the stories of Daniel, whether it be his refusal to take the king's delicacies, the, the unwillingness of Daniel's friends to, to bow before the, the, the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, the astounding ability of Daniel to interpret the dreams when nobody else could or would, Daniel and the lion's den, one of, I think, the, the, the cherished reasons for these stories is that Daniel was this sort of a disciple. But he shines like the sky to show us the way of righteousness. He shows us what it means to live in a hostile environment. And the concluding words, blessed is the one who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. Blessed is the one who waits till the end. But go your way till the end. You shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Wait and work. Why? Because the Lord is coming. Trust Him. That's where Daniel started in exile. Doesn't it? And that's where Daniel concludes. He serves the Lord faithfully in a hostile environment. And the Lord blesses him with the realization that the eternal outcome is certain. It's guaranteed. No matter how much hostility there might be, Daniel, your way is secure. Your allotted place at the end of the days will be in the presence of Christ. People of God, as we conclude this book, what does it mean to be a disciple? It doesn't mean we're overwhelmed by our situation. We recognize it. The hostile world in which we live. It's not a friend of saints. It's a friend of sinners. But we serve the One who came and gave His life for sinners such as ourselves. And the gospel is the power of God to stand 
against all of our enemies. You know, if you're in a raging current and just standing still, you're going to cause a ripple. Serve the Lord with that rock-solid stance. Maybe you're not inclined to swim against the culture, but don't give up and go along with it because the end is complete destruction. God calls you. Stand firm in Him. Wait and trust, and He will secure your eternal existence. That's the word of hope for enduring hostility. It's a word which closes Daniel. Daniel at this time would have been an old man. He's probably ready to pass away. And he wants his word resonating with Israel. And God has revealed in chapter 10 and 11, there's going to be some horrible hostility that God's people are going to have to face in the intertestamental period. What can they hold on to? The certainty of the last judgment. Jesus departs and leaves us with an awareness that there is a time that Satan is going to have a little season in which he will have his way in seeking to destroy the church. What will you hold on to? Where does that start? It doesn't start when the time arrives. It starts today and continues tomorrow and through the week to have this hope for enduring hostility. Amen.